Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. So we've been looking at this idea of walking in a manner worthy of our calling as opposed to walking in the way of the Gentiles or unbelievers. Paul's given us this metaphor, changing clothes, Uh, as a way of saying, here's how you get off of one road and get on the other. You take off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and you put on your new self, which is made to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then last week, uh, we saw another way of talking about walking in this way, uh, that uh, living a life worthy of our calling is to follow God's example or to be an imitator of God, to walk in the way of love as Jesus demonstrated. And then Paul gave us these five really specific behaviors. Take off falsehood, put on speaking truthfully, take off sinning in your anger. It was implied, uh, put on don't sin in your anger or be anger, uh, be angry righteously. Uh, take off stealing, put on work, take off speaking destructively to each other, put on speaking constructively, building each other up, take off hostility and put on mercy. So today there's a lot a lot of things, and you're only going to be able to grab onto one or two, and that's okay. There's a, there's a what, and there's a why, and there's a how, and there's lots underneath all of it. So we're just going to trust the Holy Spirit to highlight out of the 10 things that I talk about, one that for you is most important for you this morning. So uh, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. For once you were darkness, but now you're light. And the Lord live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. First, what? few sins that I feel like have maybe become a bit more acceptable within the church. God's standards haven't changed. Ours have. So looking at Paul's, those first six things that he lists, he says, let there not even be a hint. Don't even, your Bible may say, don't even mention these things. That's what that phrase literally means. These things, these sins should be so far from us. We don't even, we're not even discussed, much less engaged in sexual immorality. So that's any sexual behavior outside of marriage. And this is certainly something, I'm 46. I think I did my first wedding when I was 25. So over the last 21 years, certainly a trend that I've seen within the church. This is all within the church. We're not talking about the broader um, culture. Within the church, more and more Christians who are sleeping with either their boyfriend or then their fiance. 
more and more that's happening. Boyfriends and girlfriends sleeping together, engaged couples sleeping together, really without any sense that that is a sin or if it is they don't care. Again, our standards maybe have changed. God's haven't. Why is it a big deal? We're committed to each other. We love each other. It's just a sheet of paper. You, you don't believe that. But if that's true, then come see me and I'll marry you and I'll give you the sheet of paper. And then it'll be okay. But sex, it's the most, uh, it's the most physically, it's the most intimate expression of uh, physically that we can, that we can experience. It's, it, it's the greatest physical connection that we can have, greatest depth. Marriage is the, it's the strongest commitment that we can make to another person. So that level of intimacy requires a context of that strong of a commitment. If you have the intimacy without the commitment, it's imbalanced. Too much intimacy, not enough commitment, which equals pain. And it's not just a sheet of paper. And again, you know that. Even a secular state acknowledges that. You don't have to file a petition with the court if you want to break up with your girlfriend or if you want to end an engagement, but you do if you want to leave your spouse. Like even, again, a secular state acknowledges there's something special about this relationship. And again, you know that and I know that. And so I would encourage you, those of you if you're dating, engaged, I know it's not easy, walk in purity. Paul, this, is, this is interesting advice. It's in the Bible, so we'll go with it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So don't say to your girlfriend, hey, I'm going to propose just because I'm tired of burning for you. It's not necessarily romantic, but it's okay to have that in the back of your mind. Like at some point you've dated long enough. At some point you've been engaged long enough. And so come talk to us if that's you and we will help you move in a direction of marriage if that's the best thing. Sex outside of marriage, it's, it's a sin. Even though, again, like how does it hurt? We're consenting adults. We're going to get married anyway. It's a sin. And I would encourage you to walk in righteousness. If, that was, if you're married now and you're like, Shh. But if you think back to your dating and your engagement, if that was a part of your dating and engagement life, this may seem weird because it may have been five years or 10 years or 15 years. I just encourage you to confess that to the Lord. Just do. Just go ahead and cut that off. Just say, God, that we did not date well, or we weren't engaged. Like, we didn't do a great job with this when we were engaged, and we're married now, and thank you for blessing our marriage. But I just want to acknowledge that we didn't do that great. And so just acknowledge that before Him. I think it would be, it will be helpful. Uh, the next one, greed, especially where we live, big time issue. We've seen that word before. It's this insatiable desire for more. Sometimes it's acquisitiveness, acquiring, getting more stuff. Sometimes it's stinginess, not letting go of what we have, holding a bit too tightly. Lots of roots for greed. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's a great prayer to pray. I pray that prayer regularly. God, I pray that the love of money does not take root in my heart because all it's going to do is cause me trouble. There's no way I'm going to live contentedly with what I have. There's no way I'm going to say the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places if there's a love of money within my heart. And I would encourage you, regardless of how much money you make, pray that prayer. Regardless of how much money you give away, pray that prayer. God, I pray the love of money does not take root in my heart. For some of us, there's a, there's a fear factor. Maybe we grew up and we didn't have a lot and we said something like, I'm never going to be in that position again. And so there's this, this fear of not having enough. And so we tend to hold on really tightly to what we have. Some of us were insecure. We try to keep up and there's a lot of people to keep up with where we live. 
We've got to have the vacation and the memberships and the cars, whatever the gifts for our kids, whatever those things are. We feel pressure to keep up and everything people have costs a lot of money. And so again, that kind of feeds this greed within us, this acquiring of more stuff. Ultimately, we want to live contentedly with what God has given to us. We want to be people who are generous. I would encourage you, look at your bank account. How much do you give percentage-wise? What are you giving away? If it's zero, then you, you have a problem. If you have an income, you're not giving anything away. That's no good. That's a sin. And then with all of your money, it's the Lord's. And you just need to ask him, God, what do you want me to do with it? And that's a trust issue for us. Do we actually think God's a good father? Or is he going to say it's, you know, hot dogs and beans for you for the rest of your life. Give the rest. Of, I don't know. But let's ask him. But for many of us, we're nervous about asking God that question. Because we're afraid he's going he's gonna to take what we honestly see as ours. So greed has a love of money taken root in your heart. Obscenity, profanity. Oh my gosh, pet peeve for me, cussing Christians. I don't get it. 171,476 words in the English language. I counted. That's how many there are. (laughs) 84 of them are obscene. I read an article by a guy. Somehow he got a grant to study profanity. I don't know how. I guess you can get a grant for anything. And he says there's 84 obscene words. So that means there's 171,392 words that you can say. Surely, out of that number, you can express yourself. Surely, right? Not Literally, 99.5% of the words available to us are on the table. And you may say, it's not that big a deal. And like there's one, on one hand, I'll say, you're right, it's not that big a deal. Jesus says in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouths speak. And that's why it does become a big deal, I think. What is it saying about what's going on in our heart? We talked about that with anger. When we get angry, what's it, uh, it may be righteous. There's a small percent chance that our anger is righteous. For most of us, it's not. So what does that anger indicate? Is it righteous or most likely is there a woundedness in our heart? Is there a grief in our heart? Is there a sin in our heart? So using profanity, like what does that indicate about what's going on in your heart? What's going on in your mind? Out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. This guy who studies profanity says that for most words, we generate them on the left side of our brain. Profanity generates on the right side. He says profanity, it's not, they're not words, they're eruptions, on the right side where emotions are, that's where these, that, that center lights up when we cuss, swear, curse, whatever your word is for it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you need help, I'll get you a thesaurus. Like we can come up with other words. It seems like low hanging fruit to me. This is going to make you feel guilty and I'm only, I feel a little bad about it. But when people hear us talk that way, none of them think about Jesus. Nobody thinks, oh, I bet Jesus was a cusser. He loved sailors, but he didn't talk like one. So let's not either. I feel like that should be low-hanging fruit. I know for some people that's difficult. I don't want to make light. I know it's difficult. But I do feel like that, that's an area where we can, we can walk in a greater level of holiness. Last one, drunkenness. That one's tough, too. So getting drunk is a sin always. It's a sin on your 21st birthday. It's a sin on your 40th birthday. It's a sin after you close a big deal. It's a sin after you bury your mom. Like the occasion doesn't matter. There's no asterisk. Don't get drunk unless it's a sin. But drinking's not. Jesus turned water into wine. And so it creates this gray area for us where it's okay to drink, but it's not okay to get drunk and it that then kind of lands on us it's, it's very similar with 
sexual contact. It's probably okay to kiss your girlfriend. But the more you kiss her, well, the closer you're going to get to doing something else. And the same thing is true with drinking. The more we drink, the closer we're going to get to crossing a line and getting drunk. When we get drunk, we're putting ourselves under the influence of alcohol. That's what we call it, right? One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And you're willingly and voluntarily giving up your self-control. I don't know anybody that makes great decisions when they're drunk. You want a drunk guy operating on you? No. You want a drunk person teaching your kid how to read? No. You want a drunk person driving behind you in the car? No. They don't make great decisions. They're impaired. Don't. And again, it's, it's, where's the line? I don't know. I would say this again, this isn't in the Bible. This is just me. I think God probably agrees with, with me though. This is what I would say. Wherever you feel like your threshold is, just take one step back. Take one step back from that. Have a margarita with your nachos. Have a glass of wine with your pasta if you want it. Just need to be careful about multiples. And I, and I, I would, for, for sure, if you're, if you're doing shots, quit. Quit. You can't tell me that's, do you, have you ever had a shot of orange juice? No. <laughs> the only thing you take shots of is alcohol. Why? To see how quickly you can get it into your body. The whole point is to get drunk. So Quit. Don't do those things. It's not worth it. There's sin there for us and we want to avoid it. And even though it's become acceptable, one, David Scott, he's a pastor of Highlands. He was our former student pastor. My favorite quote of his, one of my favorite quotes, we can't choose our consequences. We can pick our actions, but we don't get to choose our consequences. Think, and the consequences around drunkenness can be literally deadly. Avoid that because you don't get to pick what the consequences are going to be once you've lost that sense of self-control. So those are the what's. Those are these old self-habits and practices and speech patterns that we want to lay aside. We've, we've got these new clothes and they're white and they're clean and they're spotless and they're, they're with, without stain or wrinkle. But we're tempted to put back on our nasty, smelly, dirty clothes at times. And those are the what's. Those are the things we want to leave that stuff. We don't want to pick that stuff up. Why? Paul gives us four reasons. One, because it's inappropriate. He says it's not proper. It's ill-fitting. It's not suitable for God's holy children. We've been set apart by God, for God, from sin, the ways of the, of, of the flesh and the devil and the world. And it's not appropriate to pick that stuff back up again. I think about Jesus in, in Matthew 11 talking about his yoke. He says it's easy. That means it's well-fitting. So again, clothes, the clothes that Jesus gives us fit us as children of God. These other things, they don't fit us anymore. They're ill-fitting, they're improper, they're inappropriate, but we go back to them anyway. Second thing Jesus says is, or excuse me, Paul says is the, the wrath of God is directed towards the disobedient. The wrath of God is his righteous anger towards sin. He says, if you're engaging in these behaviors, there's no inheritance for you in the kingdom of God. If you're, there's, there's no inheritance for the immoral, for the impure, for the greedy, because they're idolaters. There's something that they love more than Jesus. There's something they're pursuing more passionately than they're pursuing the Lord. That's idolatry by definition. There's no inheritance in the kingdom for those people. Don't be deceived by empty words. There's a, a strain of heresy. It goes all the way back 
to Paul's day within the church. We've been set free from the law, so we can do whatever we want, and God will have to forgive us. Romans 6, 1. Should we sin more so that grace can increase more? And Paul says, heavens, no, by no means. We've died to sin. Why would we keep engaging in that kind of behavior? We don't want to be partakers in sin, participants in these sinful lifestyles. Why? Because we don't want to share in the judgment that's going to come to idolaters. Some of you with a sensitive conscience, you're like, whoa, I cussed last week. Am I going to hell? No, not if you're trusting Jesus. We, this is not incidental, isolated events of sin. This is persistent rebellion. We've talked the past couple of weeks about hardening our heart. That's the first step towards the, this road that the Gentiles live on, this road of unbelievers, this life that's not worthy of the calling that we've received. The conscious choice we make is to harden our hearts. And then that leads to ignorance and spiritual darkness and being separated from the life of God. If you're, if you're asking the question, then most likely your heart is still soft. Again, it's when we engage in sinful behavior over time. We've been convicted and we don't care. We ignore the Holy Spirit. We ignore brothers and sisters who are saying, hey, come on. You can't keep living like this. You can't keep doing this. And we say, I don't care. And we just keep doing it. That, that's when you start getting into these warnings. Where at that point, we're partaking in the life of an idolater. And we need to be really careful about where that leads us. Absolutely, we're saved by grace through faith. None of us are saved because we follow the rules perfectly. We said that. We're not saved on our own efforts. It's not uh, our abilities uh, to keep the rules. That's not what makes us acceptable to God. 1 John 3 says that anyone who's living in Jesus will not, that they, you won't keep sinning is what it says. If we live in Jesus, we won't keep sinning. And I think that's a promise for us. And we'll talk about that more just in a, in a second. Third reason is because we're light. Not we live in the light, but we are light. Paul says you were darkness, now you're light. Those are identity statements. We did live in the darkness and we do now live in the light. But it's also true of who we are. We used to be darkness and now we are light. So Paul says, well, live accordingly. You're light, so light should be coming from you. Things like righteousness and goodness and truth. Jesus is the light of the world. He takes up residence within us by his Holy Spirit. So that makes us the light of the world. Not because we generate that, but because the light lives within us. And so our deeds and our words should be reflective of that. Or if you like it better, the light should shine forth from us through what we say and through what we do. It's shameful to even talk about what people do in the dark. Don't do that. Expose, and that's within the church. That's not within the world. Within the church, we should expose deeds of darkness, not to humiliate anybody, but in order to see people redeemed and set free and transformed and those things that were darkness become light and that's part of the mystery and majesty of God that he takes things that were darkness and he touches them and they become a testimony to who he is and you might have some of that experience in your own life you can think of something what Jesus saved you from pride arrogance sinful behavior fear whatever it was and now there's a testimony around that for you something that was darkness is now illuminated it's now light and the last thing Paul, the last reason Paul gives is because it's wise to do so. We live in a fallen world. These are evil times. And the wise thing to do is to respond to truth, to respond to revelation, light, to respond to God's word to us, to incorporate that into our life. It's foolish not to. 
We live in a fallen world. We have an enemy who steals and kills and destroys. We want to make the most of every opportunity. And so the wise thing to do is to put off the old and to put on the new. We do that because it's appropriate. We do that because we don't want to fall under judgment. We do that because we're light and we want to live accordingly. And we do it because it's wise. Because if we, if we think that we can successfully navigate this world that we live in as a new person who's constantly putting on dirty clothes, we're fooling ourselves. That's a foolish thing to do. So what those sinful behaviors, leave the dirty clothes, leave them, in the, leave them behind. Why? Those four reasons I just gave you. Two things, how? How do we do that? Where it doesn't just become an exercise in our willpower, or our effort, our moral strength. How do we do those things? There's two commands in here that uh, I want to grab onto. One is really interesting to me. I never think about this. Find out what's pleasing to God. I can't remember the last time I said, God, what would please you today? What would bring you delight or pleasure. I can't remember the last time I prayed that prayer. Find out what pleases the Lord. Colossians 1, 10 through 12, we see, here's what pleases the Lord. That, you'll see that up on the screen. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God, growing in perseverance. That's bearing up well under difficult circumstances, giving thanks to the Father. Those are the kinds of things that please the Lord. It's interesting to think about, sometimes when we think about God, remote, distant, unaffected by us. We saw last week we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So if we're talking to a five-year-old, we would say, you can make God sad. You can grieve him. You can make him sad. And it was through using rotten speech. That's what we looked at last week. You can also, again, talking to a five-year-old, you can make God happy. You, we have the ability, for lack of a better word, to make God happy and to make God sad because he's chosen to be influenced by us. He's a highly relational being. He's invited us into a relationship with him. And just like every other relationship you're in where what the other person do impacts you, God is the same. He doesn't remove himself from that give and take. That doesn't, you know, demean God or lower God. That actually, to me, it magnifies who he is. That he's chosen to say, I'm going to allow sinful human beings to impact me. I can be grieved by the things that they do. And they can bring me delight and pleasure. That, to me, is responsibility and privilege. I don't know when, if you ever think about that. What would it look like on Tuesday before you left for work? If you say, God, what would bring you joy today? What, what, what would bring you delight today? And you see what he said. He tried to follow in that direction. Was he going to make me sing a bunch of songs? Probably not. We do that in here together because it's important. We just saw that. That's what we do in here together. But I probably, probably don't want you to do that in your office. But there's some ways that you can bring him delight and pleasure. We just need to ask. So that would be the first thing. Think that way. Sometimes we can get wrapped up in the negatives. No sexual immorality. No drinking. No profanity. No greed. No, 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 no. And we can lose the, this broad wide, expansive, yes. Think about the garden. How many trees could Adam and Eve not eat from? One, just one. The rest of them were theirs. Pleasing, good to eat from. There was one that they had to avoid. Everything else was theirs. I think that's probably a good picture for us. 
God's creation is good and he's given it to us to enjoy. Absolutely, there are things that we need to avoid. But it's not, here's what we have to avoid and here's what we can do. Looks much different than that. Ask him, what would bring pleasure to you? What would bring delight to you? And close with this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The the idea behind there is be constantly filled. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's contrasted with being drunk. So alcohol, uh, drunkenness that puts us under the influence of alcohol, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's being under the influence, under the guidance, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's living, uh, Paul says in other places, it's keeping in step with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, different ways of saying the same thing. Sometimes when when I would hear that idea of being filled, I would think of a car, like filling up a gas tank. And that's what it meant to be filled with the Spirit, and I'd go and do my thing, and then when I ran out of gas, I'd come back. But some cars get pretty good gas mileage and they can, be, they can be gone for a long time. Maybe better to think about breathing. How long can you hold your breath? It's a, the idea is a constant interaction, sense of dependence. The idea of abiding with Jesus. That relationship, maintaining relationship constantly, regularly. It doesn't necessarily mean you're on your knees praying all the time, but you're living with an awareness of your need for him. You're living with an awareness of of his desire to work in you and to work through you an awareness of what he's doing in the world around you, of his resources that are available to you. Again, it's that sense of abiding relationship. I don't want to press this too far. Some of you, uh, you've been married for a good amount of time and you probably don't know what it's like. You can't remember what it's like to not be. Like you don't remember that anymore. Like, like if I said, do you live constantly aware of the fact that you're married? You'd probably say no. But if we started going through your day, most of, most of your interactions with people, most of the way you carry yourself is as someone who's married. Like there's, and, and that's similar to this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this sense of constantly abiding. We're so formed and shaped by him that even if we're not intentionally thinking about him in the moment. He's so shaped who we are. We're never far. We're, we, we haven't broken relationship. I know that sounds kind of weird and ambiguous. But think about breathing. Again, that's maybe the best picture. It's constant intake of who he is and of his resources, his love, his power, his mercy, his justice, his holiness. That constant intake for us. This is what I want us to do. That's a lot for one day. So we're gonna pray and ask the Lord to help us here. So if you're willing to, let's pray this. Holy Spirit, would you highlight for me what's most important? Out of all of that stuff, what's most important? For some of you, it's, man, I keep picking up nasty, smelly, dirty clothes and putting them on. And if that's the case, you need to confess. God, I'm sinning in this way and I repent. I need grace to walk in a new way. Confession is the first part of that, receiving forgiveness for sure, and then we want to walk in a new way. We need God's help. He doesn't expect you to do that on your own. For some of you, alcohol is a big part of your life. It's a part of your social identity and the idea of cutting back there. You're you're kind of wondering, what's that going to mean for my friend group? 
And what I would say, if they only like you when you're drunk, they're probably not your friends. Some of you alcohols, you need it to put you to bed at night. The Holy Spirit's way better at dealing with pain than alcohol is at numbing it. So there may be some work involved in some of those things, but you can confess right now and be forgiven, fully restored. And then the Lord will give you grace to walk in a new way. For some of you, it may be one of those two commands. I want to, God, I want to know what pleases you. If I'm honest, I don't have a clue. I don't even think that way. If I'm honest, I think about you kind of being up there to help me get through my day. Not about me bringing you joy and delight. So would you help me? Would you flip that understanding of my mind? God, I would love for to sit back after a week or a month or a year and and think that I brought you joy and delight. Maybe it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you, if you're honest this morning, are you worn out? Are you run down? Are you frustrated? You're tired? You're hopeless? It might be time to take a breath. Some of you've been holding your breath for a really, really, really long time. And maybe you're doing it because you think that's what it means to follow Jesus. Like you said yes to him, he forgave you, and that's your job to put that cross on your back and walk as far as you can in your own strength. Recognize the resources that are available to you today. Take a deep breath. Breathe in the person and the power of God. He'll renew you emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Which of those is the most important for you to grab onto today? Holy Spirit, kids, students, and adults in the room. People who've known you for a really, really long time. People who just getting to know you. Would you put your finger on the thing that's most important for us to deal with? And would we, would we respond in humility and in faith? And we know that you'll, you will respond with grace and mercy. So come and minister to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.